Welcome to Art Talk with April, Season 2. I'm April Harris of Inked April, located in Birmingham, Alabama. This season, we'll be talking with new artists and professional expert artists. So I hope you enjoy it. Let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is Art Talk with April, and I am so honored to have Judy Kepish, yep. artist and therapist and educator, here to talk about her art, which is amazing. If you see it in her background, um, just beautiful stuff. So, Judy, like, how did you get started making art? Like, what, you know, gravitated you towards it? Um, uh, uh, my mother told me that I was two when I told her that I was going to be a famous artist and that was all I was going to do. Wow. I, I, I knew I, I used to draw on the walls and on the sheets and on my clothes. I took painting classes at the Metropolitan Museum of Art when I was like nine. Wow. Okay. And they had a kitty show and it was, that was my first show. I was like nine at, at the <laughs> Metropolitan Museum of Art. If only I could happen again. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it's just it's what I've always wanted to do. And um, the little divergent like therapist part, I went back to grad school 12 years ago and became a therapist um, at this late date, at the age of 58. And, and I lied. I, I, so I, I should have been born in a different century because I make everything by hand. Like I draw with a pen and ink yeah. and I make clay things. And um, so I'd never, ever used a computer, ever. Like, <laughs> The application to graduate school, um, you had to have a graduate degree to get in. Oh. To apply. I, and I did, but it was in ceramic sculpture. So um, <laughs> not, you know, everybody else, one was 25 and also were already psychologists. And, you know, and, and here I am this, you know, yeah, I have a master's degree. It's in art. <laughs> um, you know, and then I said, you know, are you proficient in? And there was this like big list of computer things. And I went, Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Never touch a computer in my life. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, and that was really funny because the first day of class, the professor turned off all the lights and handed out these little pieces of paper and said, write on it something you've never told anybody or some lie, you know, something. And I, of course, wrote, I don't know how to use a computer. So there's 35 people in the class. So other people wrote things like this class, the first Two years of the master's was uh, addiction specialty. Mm. So almost all the people in the class were in recovery, right? So they had been addicts, as had I been. And then the mental health part was the next two years. So, so people wrote things like, when I was an addict, I stole $10,000, you know, when yeah. I was an addict. But, and I wrote, I don't know how to use a computer, I lied. <laughs> and, and so he turns on the lights and he's reading the pieces of paper. Nobody knows who said everything till he gets to mine. And the entire class turns and looks at me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess that wasn't too hard of a guess, but... Uh, <laughs> Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, really funny. And, and somebody tried to teach me how to draw on a computer. And I, I did it for like 10 minutes and then lost my mind, started screaming at the computer and went, no, I don't want to do this. It's horrible. It looks awful and too many choices. And I, and I don't like it. Oh. So, yeah, I've been doing art um, when I was in high school. I was invited to go to Rhode Island School of Design before I graduated for my first semester. And the second semester was... Um, 
Rhode Island School of Design had their first, uh, they opened a school in Rome. So it was their first semester ever. And they invited 18 of us to go. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, apparently we behaved really poorly. There's a <laughs> rat had a, a school there, long time school, invited us, you know, welcome to Rome kind of thing. Yeah. yeah and, and then we, the school got banned for life. I, I don't really remember behaving that poorly at the event, but I guess um, I was probably drunk. So I remember. Uh, yeah. So, but apparently some of us uh, behaved so poorly that the school was banned for life for many events there uh, in the future. <laughs> then I went to the Kansas City Art Institute and ended up getting uh, being the first woman grad student in ceramics in at the San Francisco Art Institute. And, wow! Uh, I I worked with uh, I was an assistant to uh, Richard Shaw, who's mm. really famous in uh, sculptural yeah. ceramics in California. Wow! And, uh, yeah, I worked with a lot of amazing people. The years that I was there was like this incredible time period where Ron Nagel was teaching there and Richard Shaw was teaching there, John Rolla, um, Bob Rasmussen, there was incredible people there. And so yeah. I was their teacher's assistant. Yeah. And, and some amazing performance, like when I was in grad school, performance art was coming up and so yeah. Tony Labatt was in my class. Chris Burden was our teacher. Uh, there was just, it was a pretty amazing environment to be in. Yeah. So, Really oh, absolutely. I mean, I can't imagine that would have to be that would be such a powerful experience as far as being inspired. And I feel like a lot of creative people, they just sort of um, push each other, maybe not even intentionally pushing each other. But it's like when you're around all this creativity, oh, yeah. just sort of excited. And slowing it was through excited. everybody. Yeah. yeah, it was the height of the punk era. So, you know, the dead Kennedys would play at the school. And, oh. you, know, uh, you know, so, and a lot of the people that were in bands were also in art school. And, um, yeah, so I was really successful. So I had my first show before I graduated undergrad. Mm. And um, I was really, I didn't realize so later, like how lucky I was that it was so easy. Like it was easy. Um, and, and I was really successful, but, you know, I became a really terrible heroin addict. And mm. so uh, I would just get high and work in the studio for days without eating or doing anything. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I got shipped off to Minnesota to go to treatment mm. and, um, and ended up teaching at the Minneapolis College of Art and Design and working for Suzanne Lacey on some really big performance pieces, uh, the Crystal Quilt, which was 650 women between 65 and 100, uh, making this living quilt and talking about uh, uh, their mothers and their lives. And, um, and then I worked for Prince. Uh, I, my work study student <laughs> um, dropped out and started a company doing special effects and theater design and things like that. Yeah. And I was teaching and, and doing other things. I started a performance art program at the Minneapolis College of Art and Design was fundraising for that and taking care of the visiting artists. And I was assistant to the fine art chair and teaching freshman foundations. And he asked to help out on this commercial. They had hired somebody who was doing a crappy job. And he said, can you, can you paint wood grain? And I'm like, well, yeah, in my sleep. I mean, <laughs> course and he, well, can you come in on the weekend we'll pay you well uh 
And, and I made more money in that weekend than I did in like six months of teaching. Oh, and yeah. so they hired me for another job. And, and then it just became really clear, like, you know, I, rather than be struggling financially, I could be a scenic painter. <laughs> and so I stopped teaching and, yeah. <laughs> and ended up painting backdrops for prints for his last three movies and a lot of television commercials and mm. Yeah. Wow. And oh, my God. That was fun. Uh, grueling, horrible, exhausting 18-hour days. Holy cow. But that... once I had kids, I couldn't do that anymore because you can't <laughs> be on a set for 18 hours when you have babies. <laughs> it doesn't work out well. They'd always promise me. They'd always say, oh, no, you can paint this background for eight hours. We promise you'll get to the daycare on time. I never got to the daycare <laughs> On time, <laughs> ever. Yeah. I imagine that would be a lot of like, um, kind of like lab- laborious, you know, doing all of that, right? Yeah, it's exhausting. And yeah. the film industry is awful. I mean, it's so misogynistic and oh, it, sure. they're horrible to women. They're horrible to the crew. It's like one, one job out of 20 is wonderful where it's collaborative and incredible and creative people and everybody's supporting each other. And it's great. The, yeah. the other 19, it's, you know, ego, crazy people high on cocaine because they're exhausted, uh, who never get to see their spouse or their kids or anybody. So they're, you know, screwing around on set with someone else's spouse, you know, and that causes problems. And, uh, and, and everybody's on edge, but you know, the one where it's collaborative is the most beautiful thing. I mean, filmmaking, you know, making movies is so collaborative and you just need everybody. And so it's, it's a really great, ex- it can be a really great experience. <laughs> I, don't, I can't imagine I'm 67. So I, I can't, I can't work those hours now. I, it, I'm too old. I, I, I'm t- I get tired. <laughs> I'm tired. I'm like, so you're, you know, doing sets and then you're becoming a mom. Did you continue to do creative work after? Yeah, so so we we ended up buying a 200-year-old log house on a river in the middle of the woods in very, very rural Minnesota. Like no neighbors. The nearest paved road was six miles away. Um, Really rural. Uh, yeah. So uh, it, it was pretty amazing. It was like living. So we somehow it, it happened over a little long period of time. We ended up being an animal rescue art education place for kids at risk. Oh my gosh! <laughs> yeah. So and so we were um, doing art projects. It was a group called Camp Sunrise, and they would have inner city kids that were in the system. So they were either in jail release or foster care. Mm. come up for a week to their place and then they'd come to our place one day to learn about like organic like we grew lots of vegetables organically and Mm. had chickens and all of that and then we would do art projects with them to foster like confidence and uh, communication skills and creativity and you know and these are inner city kids a lot of them gang members that you know never did anything like that you know that it was very foreign to them yeah. And it was really a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, this, it, was, it was a lot of fun. <laughs> um, I made some stuff. I, I didn't make as much, you know, I wasn't like a professional artist during that period, really. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I made some stuff. I had a ceramic show at the Lanesboro Art Center, but I wasn't making a lot of stuff because, you know, I was taking care of kids and taking care of animals and growing things and <laughs> and then working with this group. And uh, so we were a sober household. I got sober and um, yeah. my husband got sober and uh, and then he relapsed and he went crazy and he left. Oh. So there I was out in the middle of the woods taking care of 200 animals in my late 50s. Like, oh. and my kids yeah. go off to college and now I'm in the middle of the woods alone. And yeah. uh, in the meantime, all my biological kids and all these peripheral non-biological kids who lived at our house on and off um, whenever there were problems at their household, they would yeah. come stay with us. Um, all lived in Long Beach, California. So when I was trying to decide where to move to, you know, it could be anywhere, right? I mean, I really, I had relatives in England. I have good friends in New York from growing up there. I have my best friends in Northern California, but all the kids were in Long Beach. Uh, so I decided that was the best bet is to get to know them as grownups because now they were adults. And uh, so that's how I got here. And I have this amazing studio here. It's huge. You know, one thing that happened that was interesting, it's like, um, when my kids were little and we moved to the country, yeah. it had been so easy for me. I got a Jerome Foundation grant that was written up in the New Yorker. I mean, like that kind of success was never hard for me. And yeah. I just knew the right people. Uh, my work was good enough that if knowing the right people, you know, got me. Sure. Uh, and, and I somehow thought, oh, take 18 years off and go raise kids in the middle of the woods. And then when you're ready to come back, everybody will go, yay, she's back. And they go, what? Some older woman wanting to make, like, we don't care. We want a hot young thing. You know, we, we don't care about older women. Why would we care? You know, and, and yeah, okay, you were hot shit back then, you know, but now you're not. Nobody cares. World's moved on. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of a rude awakening. And for a little while, it, it, I've had this discussion with a lot of artists about uh, making art in a vacuum. You know, when you're not getting outside validation, right? So, you know, there are five things that are needed for creativity and outside validation is one of them. Mm -hmm. And so, yes, I mean, one day when I was trying to get a show at a gallery and I was really getting depressed about it, it's like, God, I'm making all this work and, you know, and we always joke, make art have a storage problem, right? That's <laughs> how it goes. Yeah. Uh, even, even if you're really successful and popular, it's still true. <laughs> no one is so successful that everything they make sells. So it just doesn't oh, happen. Sure. And, and, or for all that long, like maybe you sell for 20 years and then they want the next hot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I know a lot of very established artists that work in every major museum who haven't sold anything in two or three years. So oh, it, it, it's a pretty grim, grim territory, really. I mean, uh, but so I was bitching about it and I was like walking through the house going and getting depressed. Like what's the point? Mm -hmm. and, and my daughter said, well, I mean, has anybody ever been able to stop you from drawing? And I was like, well, no. And she goes, then why worry about it? Just do what you do. <laughs> and I thought, okay, that's pretty right. But, but which, yes, that's true. But it's also true that you need outside validation of some kind. 
you can't maintain the spirit, you know, like your hopefulness, unless you're getting some kind of feedback. Yeah. And, and it doesn't have to be like, oh, you get famous or you show in, you know, the Whitney Museum, Museum of Modern Art. Not that, you know, hey, if you're listening, you know, hi. <laughs> uh, but uh, as long as you're getting some, you know, so the things behind me are from uh, a really big show that I had last September that you could walk through. The, Was that the dollhouse show? Yeah. 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 And, and so um, now I'm working with, uh, we're just starting this project, um, a Cambodian refugee whose family had to run from the Khmer Rouge when he was young. And so he grew up in refugee camps mm. and we're working on a play where I will do the stage set oh. about one of his childhood stories. And so we're working on that. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. A little daunting because like these things are big. Like that. Yeah. I mean, they're big, but they have to be bigger if they're on a stage. Yeah. Know? And that's a bit daunting. Like, how's that happening? <laughs> I'm not sure yet how that's happening. I, I'm really not. I, I, I'm having some amount of panic about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Some amount of panic about that. And, and he's a real go-getter. So he immediately, <laughs> when he asked me, would I be interested in doing this? And I went, yeah, I'd be really interested in doing that. And then a week later he went, okay, so I applied for this $25,000 grant and here's the schedule for the Long Beach Playhouse. And they take a certain amount of orders during a certain period of time. And, and the grant stipulation is that the play has to be free to everybody you know, so, so, and Long Beach Playhouse has this program where you get the stage for two weeks uh, during certain windows between the plays they're doing yeah. and they lighting support and all that. And, you know, so that's the same. So I applied for both of those things. Okay, good. Great. And I'm like, oh, whoa. <laughs> okay. <laughs> wow. That was fast. <laughs> uh, luckily at the moment, he's out of town. So it's so difficult. <laughs> So there's that. And I've been making these little periodic. So this is an interesting thing. And I, I've asked other artists about this. So I draw a lot. Yeah. Right? So those, but small. Yeah. Uh, draw a lot. And uh, it's what I do to relax. And it's like really meditative and, and really meaningful to me. But every once in a while, I get this like itch where, nope, I got to go make clay things. I, I can't draw. Mm -hmm. And if I try to force drawing, it doesn't work. It's like a different spot somehow in your brain. Mm -hmm. like one's here and then the other one's just a little bit over here. So yeah. if it feels like, oh, it's got to be clay, I can't make myself draw. It just won't work. I can't draw well. So I've been making this series of little clay toys. And yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I broke two of them taking the plastic oh. off. So oh, no. I got grumpy and then work on the other ones because I was grouchy about it but uh but I'm gonna go back and finish those <laughs> tell me about so, it. a couple of places want to show those which makes me also very anxious because it's like they contacted me and said we really want to show this new series of work and I'm like they're not even fired yet like <laughs> how do you know I'm not blowing it in the glazing how do you know they're not going to blow up in the kiln like yeah. and they can oh, you have a track record you, you won't blow it in the glazing we've seen the work that you you do in clay but it still could, you know, this is not a guarantee. Like, this is like, I can't say yes to any of this until these things are fired. You know, and they <laughs> have to, I mean, that's the other thing people go, oh, can you have a show like next month? And I'm going, 
let me explain to you how clay works. Yeah. <laughs> you have the idea, one, right? That starts. Okay. Then you have to make the thing. Mm-hmm. Then it has to dry really slowly so no cracks warping, right? Mm-hmm. So that takes weeks. I mean, if it's humid out, right, it takes weeks unless you have a hot box, which I don't. So, okay. Yeah. Uh, then you have to make enough of them to fill your kiln because why would you spend hundreds of dollars firing something unless you had filled the kiln? Mm. Right? All right. So now you've done that. Now you have to glaze them all. <laughs> glaze enough of them to fill the kiln. And you have to hope those glazes come out. Okay. And that nothing cracks in the meantime, which happens. Yeah. Not frequently. Uh, yeah. And then maybe they <laughs> be fired again. So you're talking about a show next month. That's not going to happen. Like that's, I mean, even if I could make one piece a day, which sometimes I can, if I'm on yeah. a roll, one a day, uh, but oftentimes I'm not that much on a roll. And also I get sort of absent-minded. So I'll be holding something. I'm, I'm notorious for breaking all my own work Oh like, no! in my studio, because if somebody else breaks my work, I will want to kill them and never speak to them. Again. <laughs> when, when I, um, I used to show at the Key Gallery in uh, San Francisco, mm-hmm. and my neighbor uh, worked at that gallery, and my neighbor and my best friend, and, and she would come into my studio and she'd go, put that down, put that down right now. <laughs> said, no, you are not breaking anything today. <laughs> she was very, yeah, no. And then like they when they would come and get things, she would go, you're not packing them. Um, I really wanted to ask you about the whole, like, especially in looking at your Instagram, you know, you kind of draw just sort of intuitively and just sort of make things as you go. Or do you have a plan when you do that stuff? I, I don't like having too much of a plan. Like if you saw my preliminary drawings, you'd never recognize what they look like what the drawing looks like at the end they're just like very schematic like a real simple pencil yeah. line because if i know too much what it looks like then it becomes like paint like by number you know, oh, like, yeah. you know ink in something you know like I, that, that's not so interesting to me um some of the stuff on my instagram is when i'm between in my head serious drawings i just do sort of stream of consciousness doodles yeah so there's no plan there's no end result there isn't like pictorial coherency Mm. you know the layout isn't needs to be correct in any way it just goes where it goes yeah sometimes it goes where it makes pictorial sense and sometimes it doesn't and um, but that's not its purpose its purpose is just to relax in between things and just let it go so it doesn't matter to me yeah sometimes if they they end up being good looking (laughs) where most of the page is filled in, then I suddenly get anxious that I'm going to ruin it, right? But oh. that's, norm. <laughs> that's not the norm for those. Content is, is pretty important to me. Like the dollhouse and these things behind me, you know, they were about like your, the experience of being a woman, like growing up, like the whole dollhouse, they were um, actually, I don't know if this will work well, but I make everybody nauseous. Uh, <laughs> Here, oh, look, yeah. you know that around. Are you at all drunk? <laughs> this will be a problem for you. Uh, but yeah, so there it is. Um, wow. So there were all these rooms, and uh, yeah, so they, you know, it was about the experience of being a woman. And mm. like one room was based on John Berger's essay, The Male Gaze, 
Uh, one room was about like how you decide your gender identity. Mm. Um, one was about being molested as a child, how unsafe the world gets. Like, and so like on one side of the dollhouse, it's Apollo and Daphne. And so that hideous story of Daphne is Artemis's sworn virgin handmaiden. Yeah. And she's bathing. Apollo sees her and says, oh, I, I, I want to have sex with her. And, and she's like, I'm a sworn virgin, you know, leave me alone. Yeah. And he chases her through the woods to rape her. And she screams to the gods, help me. So the way they help her is they turn her into a laurel tree. Thanks so much. I don't think I'd be pleased with that outcome, but okay, that. So, and, and Apollo picks the leaves off the laurel tree and makes a wreath, which is why you always see Apollo with the laurel tree wreath, which we still give out as the sign of victory at the Olympics. So think on that for a minute. Oh, he didn't crazy. pull the leaves off the tree and wear it as a crown of victory. And we still see it that way. Like, no, yeah. that's not okay. Like one reason, the other reason I made the dollhouse, I didn't actually set out to have it be that way. I, I found the dollhouse in an alley and it was all pink and fluorescent green and then yeah. dragged it home. And my daughter's like, why'd you do that? It's going to sit in the backyard for a year and then you're going to throw it away. And, and, uh, and it did sit in the backyard for a year. <laughs> one day I went, I think I'm going to paint it white and start drawing. And I thought it was just going to be pretty. Right? Yeah. But all this stuff just came out. Oh. And all this stuff, like on that one side, there's uh, my two best friends from childhood and playing with dolls. And um, there was just so much stuff about this. And, and it got really serious. Mm-hmm. And it got to be what I wanted to talk about. And like I said, you know, content is important to me like when people like the doodles that are on my instagram i'm i'm always a little bit offended yeah because it's like can you not tell the difference between something that's just pretty and something that has content yeah you know, uh, people who first asked me to have the show where i did this where i did the life-size dollhouse yeah they were like oh we're gonna publicize it that family friendly experiential and i said <laughs> This isn't kid-friendly subject matter. And they went, what do you mean? Your work's so beautiful. And I went, thank you. Did you not actually look at the content? Yeah. They they didn't. Wow. They just looked at it as being beautiful. They didn't really look at what it was about. I said, this whole thing is about being molested as a child. That is not kid-friendly. Wow. You know, oh my gosh. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Man, you have really hit on something that I myself have experienced as well. Like, um, because I used to, I used to draw a lot and would just draw these sort of doodles that just came out of anywhere, right? And they didn't have any meaning or purpose. And people would just think they were so great and want want to buy them. And I'm like, this is the junk in my sketchbook. This is yeah, not right. Right. And it's just so has no meaning behind it. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like like when 
when people can't tell, like if I say I didn't draw so well in this corner, you know, I couldn't really get into it. And so it's not drawn that well, you know, whereas over here, sorry. and they're like, no, it's all drawn great. And I'm, I, I get this sort of sinking. Actually, Marmaduke and I were talking about Instagram followers and, and two years ago. So yeah. when he was first, you know, trying to get Instagram because, you know, he does that for a living, right? He's trying to sell sure. these things. So I'm not trying to sell things. So it's a different kind of a thing. Yeah. So needing more followers, you know, and so he was talking about the followers and I said, look, um, you know, I hate to burst your bubble, but uh, go to all the people that are following you and go see what they like. Right. Mm. And the insane amount of garbage that they're clicking like on. Yeah. So don't take this stuff too seriously. You know, just don't, there's a few people who have discerning eyes, mm. vision, you know, are thoughtful in how they look at art. When those people say they like your stuff, yeah, you know, set off the fireworks. But mm-hmm. it's great that people like the stuff. It's, it's you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm happy that they like the stuff, but not that many people really have a discerning eye. Like you said, like looking at, you know, the doodles in your sketch pad and going, oh, I want to buy that, not understanding the difference between that and something that you've given a lot of attention and concern and thought to, you know, yeah. that's very intentional, that's intentional. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's not to say that there aren't stream of consciousness things that are worthwhile. I mean, sometimes there are, sometimes it comes out and you go, whoa, look at that. That's really cool. That came out great. Okay. Yeah. And maybe there was something in your, you know, I do art therapy with my clients. And and the thing that constantly blows me away is that what they need to know comes out on the paper against their intention. Wow. I used to do these groups with women about their ideas about romance and relationships. Mm. And so I'd have them, you know, like meditate on, on love, for instance, meditate on what you think about what love is, do some breathing, meditate on that. Okay. Now draw that. And then we'd put them up on the wall. And this one woman, a young woman who had gone on and on and on about, you know, Oh, love and what she wanted from a relationship and all that. And, and she put it up and everybody in the group's looking at it. And I said, what does that look like to you guys? And they said, it looks like violence. Mm. looks like violence. It looks like pain and violence. It's scary. You know, it doesn't look wow. like that. Yeah. You know? and it's because that's what her subconscious needed her to recognize is, you know, that that's what love felt like to her, not this flowery stuff she was talking about. Yeah. You know, that, that was just bullshit. You know, this was what it really was to her because there had been a lot of trauma and it always happens that way. And, and I've been doing it now for 10 years and it does it, it still blows me away that that what the person needs to know comes out on the paper. So yeah. odd. Which makes me wonder sometimes when I'm doing those, you know, like like you said, those stream of consciousness doodles. I'm yeah. thinking, uh oh, what's coming out here? What does it need me to know? <laughs> oh man, that's so interesting. Cause I've often found like, I mean, I'm an artist, but I'm a graphic designer. So I make my money from graphic design really you know but i draw constantly continuously and i've always felt like i had to i had to draw 
Had to because, draw. I mean, you just have to or make anything because it was so helpful as far as yeah. just being healthy. Just somebody asked me years and years ago and I said, I felt like it was sort of like, you know, real genuine priests, you know, spiritual people. They say it's a calling. Like they don't have a choice, right? Yeah. They'll often describe that as I didn't have a choice. I was called to be in the service of God or I was called to be in the service of, right? Yeah. I always felt like it was like that. It was like, or like my daughter saying, nobody could ever stop you. Yeah. No one could ever (laughs) stop you from drawing. It it, it would never happen. And um, yeah, right. That, that some, some need inside us that has to happen, right? Yeah. But you should hear my kids talk about when, when I finish a project and I don't know what to do and I flop around for, a, I, at this late date, at 67, I finally actually consciously recognize that my pattern is to work like an insane person for hours and hours and hours and hours, finish the project and then flop around doing absolutely nothing. <laughs> Watching television or flop, you know, in the sun or, you know, and, and my kids are always like, oh, God, please start something again. God, you're so annoying when you're not doing something. <laughs> I would tell you that I'm perfectly fine. I'm just not doing anything. Yeah. Uh, they, they apparently have a different opinion. That apparently <laughs> not fun. And on that note, like all the people who, you know, the Instagram followers who don't have that much discernment or skill or like you look at their page and you go, <laughs> yeah but it doesn't matter in the long run right because yeah. if, if they're feeling that motivation to to create that's so much better than if they weren't you know it doesn't matter what they're doing yeah. it just they should be doing it they yeah doing it. absolutely and i was thinking about knowing that uh so elaine de, ba- de baton um wrote this book called art therapy though it isn't what we would think of as like art therapy, like as a therapy modality. But so he's talking about the history of art. And uh, he talks about how in the past, like in, especially like in the 1800s, you know, the, the images that were depicted in art helped people survive their life. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you saw people having hardship, you weren't alone. If you saw people in love, you would have hope for that. You know, and and so he he it's a great book. It, anybody who's interested, in, I mean, yeah, absolutely, book. It's really really great. He wrote this really nice passage about that um, artists in particular collect objects um, because mm-hmm. it's the only way they can show people who they are is they don't have the words to describe it. And I was like, yes, yay! Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a really great book. Go get the book. It's, it's called Art Therapy by Elaine de Botton. Okay, cool. D e b o t t o m. All right. Yeah. So, um, on that note, too, like, do you have any other favorite art books, or where do you like inspiration that you that mm-hmm. you have? Like, do you get your inspiration from anywhere in particular? Like, I know. Um, you've been working with Marmaduke on yeah, the different, uh, yeah, automaton stuff. Like how did you guys get together and do that? Um, I was making some really crappy animations. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> 
I just really wanted, I want, I had this idea to do a puppet show and, um, and, and so I was like trying to figure out how to do it. Winston Tong performance artist did this amazing performance back in the eighties called bound feet about his grandmother's bound feet with these marionettes that are three feet tall. And I had that in my mind that, that I would make this environment and have these marionettes. And, but that's like a skill that takes many years to learn. Sure. um, So I was trying to think of alternatives and I wanted to see my stuff move. I'd like the, and, and I was following him on Instagram Mm -hmm. and then one day I just thought, huh, that'd be kind of cool. Maybe he would make one of my drawings move for me. You know, mm. just make like a single figure or something. Yeah. Actually, he does these theaters. So I build a lot of theaters and, and he had these little theaters where the doors open and the things move. And so I thought maybe he'd make me a theater. Like I do all the drawing and he makes the theater. Yeah. So I just wrote and I said, hey, I, I, I follow you. You know, here's my Instagram. Go look at that. He went, no, no, I already follow you. <laughs> and I was like, oh. <laughs> uh, and I said, well, you know, this is, I, I want to make a theater. And he goes, oh, God, it's such a pain in the ass. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, oh, well, make one anyway. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Judy. This has been a great conversation. Yeah, it's great. Thank you. So, thank you so much. It's been really wonderful. Thanks. Yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Art Talk with April. For more information on this episode, join the Facebook group, The Art Lounge. Please subscribe and share. See you next Tuesday. Hope you have a great week.